0: Hello, and thanks for joining us. Two sharp chefs and a microphone here. I'm Lorraine Moss, chef and journalist. And I'm Louis Victor, chef and professional food photographer. We started this podcast in memory of one of the best food culture ambassadors of all time, Anthony Bourdain. In his memory, we wanted to do the right thing and build a better sense of community among cooks, chefs, restaurant workers, and food lovers here in Las Vegas and worldwide. All right, Lou, we've been talking about plant-based foods a lot on this podcast for good reason. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the food that'll sustain us all in the world. But today we are super talking about meat. 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 Carnivore's delight. Can you smell the Maillard reaction? Mm -hmm. Meat. Um, Lou, let's go ahead and start with this podcast sharp quote.
1: I've been a cook all my life, but I'm still learning to be a good chef. I'm always learning new techniques and improving beyond my own knowledge because there's always something new to learn and new horizons to discover by Chef Jose Andres. El
0: Jefe. All right, Lou. We have Chef Jose Andres as the quote for a reason because today our special guest is Chef Alex Spitz, executive chef at the incomparable Bazaar Meat here in Las Vegas. Did you know, Louie, that he co-owned a critically acclaimed restaurant in Seattle named Avila? About a decade ago, Mm -hmm. did you know that? I don't know. Chef Alex is mysterious to all of (laughs) us. And he worked at several restaurants across the country, including New York City, NOLA, and Cali. Pretty much covered all the big cities in America. Mm -hmm. And I recently learned they actually did a quick stint at KFC at the Fryer. Really? No, where (laughs) I got my start. (gasps) Welcome, Alex Pitts. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. What was that yeah. like?
2: A Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, that's probably why I'm doing what I'm doing today.
0: Why do you um, say that? It
2: was my first job. Technically, I think my first job was uh, helping a family friend. He had a limousine rental business, so at like 13, 14, I was waxing the waxing the limos and doing that. But my first real job was the Kentucky Fried Chicken, a half a block from the house I grew up in, um, and that's kind of that's actually how I put myself through culinary school. And, oh. in a weird way, really. Yeah, totally.
1: Kentucky Fried Chicken Base yeah, Finger, finger looking good.
0: <laughs>
2: right? yeah, like, whoa. In a weird way, it's it's the things that I enjoyed about that job, which you can totally enjoy that job. I could see that. I mean, Especially
0: job. as a young kid.
2: They're the same. The restaurants are restaurants. Yeah. Like, obviously, KSC's is kind of its own thing, but a restaurant's a restaurant. So yeah. the teamwork aspect, I've always, it's, it's always gone straight to me. Um, kind of the rush of adrenaline. Um, and then just doing, working with your hands. Those are, those are, that's me in a nutshell. That's what I like to do.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. So it was really difficult, which doesn't ever happen for me to research your (laughs) resume and background.
2: Yeah, it's real simple. I'm not trying to be famous.
0: Because sir, (laughs) your (laughs) LinkedIn is old. It has one entry (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's executive suit Bazaar, which he's not anymore. He's the executive chef. Your Instagram does not even have your photo on it. Right. And your Facebook is private.
2: Well, I'm not, I'm not exactly <laughs> heading out for the law, but I have absolutely no desire to be a famous personality whatsoever. Yeah. It's so not me. In fact, that's probably the reason why I work for a big famous chef is so that it takes a huge load off of off of me as a chef. I can run a restaurant and he does kind of all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Louie and I were joking this morning by text, you know, about uh, she said you're like a Slytherin. Yeah. Little. Hogwarts, yeah, you like Slytherin? Harry
1: Potter like, reference. These are the things I know about Chef Alex. He likes Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> he
0: was probably born out of a tree in Seattle when lightning struck it. No, he he came out of the Snoqualmie Falls, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> um, and then I was joking. You're kind of like a Chef Jesus because, like, you know how we all know whether you're religious or not. You know, he you know about his birth, Christmas. You know, and then there's all this stuff in between. No idea. Nobody knows. People pontificate about it, like all the time, like all these things that happen, but nobody really knows for sure because it's not in the Bible. And then suddenly he's got apostles and then he's crucified. So there's nothing. There's this big chunk in the middle (laughs) where we don't know about Jesus. Chef Alex gets crucified (laughs) every night. We don't know about Alex's middle.
2: (laughs) Well, if you're going to go out.
0: (laughs) He started at KFC and then he ended up at (laughs) Bizarre Me.
2: I've always, always... I have some regrets of course everyone does but i've always <laughs> taken the path less traveled um so actually daniel below put out this book called i think it was called letters to a young chef mm-hmm, that I was, was a very young chef. yeah and of course i read it cover to cover but me being me i didn't do any of that stuff yeah. so i always you know all you young chefs out there go work for the best restaurant with the biggest name you possibly can which is the opposite of what I did. I always went for a really good restaurant that no one had ever heard of. Right. A really good crew of people that I knew, uh that weren't necessarily, you know, world famous. Okay. Um, and it's led me to some pretty interesting places over the years.
0: But you're here
1: though. Yeah, so here. <laughs> it's a small community. You can't say bad things. Like I feel like that that community, they travel around and mm-hmm. you know, nationwide. Well, you there, bring up there are
2: not that many fringe benefits to the business that I do, but one of them is you can go anywhere in the world and do this for mm-hmm. a living. Yeah. That's parish. for sure. So you have to take advantage of whatever's out there for you, and that's one of them. And you eat well, so no matter I've where you go. Unfortunately, not. I've uh, really traveled the world. Uh, that's certainly an option, but I've certainly, I've definitely traveled this country.
0: So let's talk about the family business. And when I say that, you know, not the mafia, but our family business, mm-hmm. which is the hashtag bizarre family, which is actually. A very big hashtag on Instagram. I know you're not on Instagram a lot, but we are the Bazaar family. And it's what's weird about it. And Louis and I talk about this a lot is, you know, we open Bazaar Meet together. Uh, six-ish years ago. And... Has it been that long? <laughs> oh, God. Many God. of us... Oh, God. ...are still very close. Mm-hmm. The way the college is, kind of. Or, right. or high yeah, school totally. or something like that. And, you know, we obviously all, you know, keep in touch. A lot of us do. Even, you know, the ones where we didn't even like each other, we keep in touch. It's just a weird family dynamic. Yep. Um, so, six years, you've been there since the beginning. What do you think about the restaurant's evolution? Um... Because, I mean, it's it, from the beginning, we had great reviews.
2: Yeah, yeah the restaurants are from from what perspective, from like <laughs> from our family perspective. I mean, let's start
0: with just, you know, it's it's where it stands in the community, not just of restaurants, but, you know, of of Las Vegas and and how you think it kind of sits in there, because we still hear a lot. Mm-hmm. Not just by people from Bazaar, but. Big chefs here all the time. It's my favorite restaurant. Oh, it's yeah. my go-to restaurant. It's my favorite meat restaurant. It's my favorite experiential m- restaurant. Definitely. So, I mean, talk about that evolution. Cool. Like you got yeah. me on
2: that. I am so I have no perspective I'm in because I'm because you've been there. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. Day, every day, but so when you hear I have that, no idea.
0: When you hear that, is it like? Is it, like, wow. Yeah. Do you still get that? Ooh, slightly, wow. Like, does it take you back down? Like, okay.
2: Well, you know the term warts and all? Like, okay. I'm the guy that sees all the warts every day. Of so course. I'm the guy that's furious because, you know, this is not pointing from noon to, you know, because this isn't right. Or right. That isn't right. Or there's a chip tile over here. blah. blah, blah. I have n- absolutely no perspective. We could be the best restaurant in the world. And all I would see is that stupid chip tile.
0: Yep. Yeah. So for us, like the example would be that, and, and Louie, you're still in it too, but even when I worked there, I would have the same kind of feelings, but not the same as you because you run the restaurant, but I would be like, oh crap, there's this, this is not here. Well, whatever it is. But then you come to dine at the restaurant and you're like, holy crap, we're good. Like, it's like, cause you're taken out of like the perspective of working the day in day out. And then, wow, we really have a fucking awesome experience here. It's like, you forget about how amazing it is. Yep.
2: Yep. So I only see the parts, but then there's the sum of the parts. Yeah. I only see every, and I think it's been a solid year since I've sat down and ate and ate at the restaurant. You got to do it. But it's always, it's always. It turns you around. a experience to sit down and eat. Yeah. And just chill a little bit and enjoy things for what they are.
0: Because you're do seriously that. running one of the best restaurants in America. Like many people will say that. I know you don't necessarily want to say that, but many people will say that. So what does that feel like? I mean, because you're not a very like, whoa, kind of like Isn't guy that like brags or anything. But what do you think about that? That's well, pretty crazy. Know.
2: We do our best every day. We keep our eyes on the prize. And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how, <laughs> one how thing much I more want to expound on that. We're, we... Uh, As a group, I'm kind of speaking for the group, like we're not really in this to go and receive accolades or we're just throwing a party every night. Yeah. Inviting people. We've gotten to know a lot of these people that are regulars. Right. Um, We're just, that's what restaurants are all about. It's not about something that you can measure. I mean, can you measure how great a party is? Yeah. You kind of can. Like (laughs) people come to your next party, you know, you had a good last party.
0: I mean... I guess uh one way to put it would just be like how about from your perspective of like being the boss there it's like what have you learned like from your management style like so has it changed much. or okay what are some of the it's things definitely
2: <laughs> evolved. The biggest thing that I've picked up on in the last 5 6 years. Oh god, we're going to go way down a rat. So let me first of all just apologize <laughs> Uh, I typically, I have, I've been putting off doing this podcast for you because I always say (laughs) something stupid. (laughs) Additionally today, it's been a rough couple of weeks. I haven't got any sleep. Yeah. I'm guaranteed to say something that I regret today. (laughs) Don't worry, (laughs) Jeff. I can edit that (laughs) out. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, the biggest thing I've learned in the last six years kind of along the same lines of what we've been talking about is not to sweat the small stuff as much. I mean, that's our job is to sweat the small stuff. Right. But to keep, man, as long as our restaurant gets a little bit or a little bit bi- uh, better every day, then eventually we'll get to the promised land. Right. So that, and having that kind of long-term view and patience is something that I didn't have before. You mentioned the restaurant that I opened of my own in Seattle. Right. It was a complete... Effing, does it? Can I curse on this? Yeah, say whatever All you right, want. It's totally. explicit. A complete fucking disaster. Yeah, because <laughs> so it was my ego trip. That was me out to show the world what a brilliant culinary genius I was and show them how they should be eating and blah, blah, blah. blah. Oh my <laughs> god,
1: this was young. Unfortunately, I
2: turned that corner. <laughs> I got that out of my system. That restaurant went very poorly and it closed within nine months Uh, and probably rightly so. Uh, But it had
0: great reviews. I read a bunch of the reviews. it had to do with the
2: economy. Um, Okay. We we hopped in there as soon as, so it was 2007, 2008 when the economy was just tanked. Terrible, yeah. Mm Well, 2008 and 2009, it had turned around, but not really that much. Like all the restaurants in Seattle were struggling. Some of them were... Fallen off the wayside, uh, we wound up being one of those that had fallen off the wayside. Um, th- three months after we closed, things kind of started getting better for the, the entire city. I actually was out of work for almost three months.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but basically, as soon as I got a job, like the whole city started turning around. People started going out to restaurants and. Get it, and I think if we could have stuck it through, we would have made it. Um, but damn it. You know, <laughs> I'm not even sure if that would have been the best thing anyway. Okay. Because man, I the like I say, the biggest single lesson I learned is we're in the hospitality business. It's not about as as the chef. It's not about you and your fucking genius and you want to show the world how smart you are. That's the opposite of what it's about. It's about taking care of people, showing them we're a good time. Right. Um, it's more simple. It's way more simple. <laughs> it's, it's it's a people thing. Right.
0: So Chef Jose has said a lot of times over the years that meat is boring. <laughs> he said, yeah, dude. You're right. I kind yeah. of agree. A so bit. if that's the case... <laughs> Then how the hell do we keep it interesting because it's in the freaking title. It's bizarre meat and there's meat hanging as soon as you walk in the door and, you know, we've got our jefe saying, you know, vegetables are sexy, which they are. You know, you can do a lot of things with vegetables and meat, you know, you kind of lose the flavor of after the first couple bites or even maybe the first chews.
2: I'm not here to promote the restaurant, but that is kind of what our restaurant is all about. Um, If there's one, well, there's a few different little kind of hooks we have, but everyone in America, and I've said this spiel a million times, is used to sitting down for a steak dinner. They tuck into this 18-ounce strip loin with some mashed potatoes and some steamed broccoli, and... The first few bites are absolutely delicious. It's fresh off the grill. Right. By the time you're at the end of that steak, it's cold. It's congealed. You've been eating the same thing for 15 minutes. Why do we do this to our... It's a chore. Right. So that's the whole idea behind our restaurant. It's not the whole... It's one of the ideas behind our restaurant is uh, we do a tapas style. So you get a steak. It goes in the middle of the table. Everyone gets a bite or two while it's still hot and fresh. And then you get another steak... you know, preferably from a different region or a different Mm -hmm. animal or Mm -hmm. different age or something's different and you kind of compare and contrast and you're just constant. Uh, Jose's got the shortest attention span of any man I've ever met in my life. He (laughs) needs constant stimulation, (laughs) just constantly something different. Yeah. That's kind of what we're providing to our guests kind of reflects his personality is don't sit there for 12 minutes masticating on this chunk of cold meat. Like keep it fresh. Keep it. Let's keep some, that's cool stuff ca- happening going. and coming at you.
0: On that note, though, we had talked about how we've been talking a lot about plant based foods and it's kind of a revolution, especially in the, the younger set. Um, Something like 70% of like Zillennials, that's the new group, zelennials. Wow. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. 70% are claiming that they're plant based. Who knows if they really are, but they claim that they are. Mm-hmm. How does that affect, you know, does it affect or does it affect, you know, what you do and how you think in the restaurant? Bizarre meat. (laughs) Not even a little
2: bit, because we're we're not. You don't come here twice a week. Yeah. Um. So on my off time, I'm not vegetarian or anything, but for the most part, I'm not. I'm not eating meat. Um, Yeah. Not not constantly. much fish. Like on my day off, I'm eating salads and and not not even from um from our principal stand. It's just I'm surrounded by meat all day every day. I don't want to see it anymore. Yeah. Um, but like I say, we're kind of a special occasion restaurant, so it's really not an issue for us. Okay. One of the things I love most about our restaurant is you have to pass under this huge sign that says bizarre meat. So if you're – it scares away a lot of the vegans and the right. vegetarians <laughs> and the special <laughs> – because they know they're walking into – this some place where A they're meat not going to feel comfortable and they kind of turn around and go someplace else. <laughs> but
0: dang, that tomato tartar is good. makes our
2: life <laughs> so easy because the people who do yeah. pass under that arch. Yeah. They know what they're getting what into. Right. And there's, yeah. there's, I mean, nothing but respect for people who are doing amazing vegetarian food, right? And seafood and blah, blah, blah. That's just, that's their lane that they're driving in. We're driving in this lane. My next restaurant will probably not be meat. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we always talk about how you're a crazy charcuterie mad scientist,
2: yeah. <laughs> of All right. Sorts. So letters to a young chef once again, um, and I say this to everyone. I've, I think I said this to you in your performance review one one That's year. Possible. I say this to everyone, uh, and it works for every business, but in particularly ours. I mean, it takes I don't know however many years or decades to get good at what you do. All along the way, you got to have a side hustle. You got to have something that distinguishes you from the pack. Hmm. There are so, it's so competitive. There are so many people who want to be the next great chef. You got to find something that you're extraordinarily good at. you have a talent for, and it could be anything. Um, and kind of, you got to have a specialty, like there's no real market for a good all-around chef. Cool. I mean, there is Right. It's $19 an hour. And it's a line cook. <laughs> yeah. Please take this uh P test. Yeah. Um, but you Which is have,
0: awesome and we need them. You gotta have a hook. <laughs> yeah. You gotta
2: have a hook. And it could be as simple as I'm really good at financials and managing the budget, right. or it could be I'm a su- super leader and inspirational, or it could be in my case, like uh, my very first sous chef at a very young age. His little side hustle was making salamis. Um,
0: ah, salamis so that's where hands. it started.
2: Um, and so my next job, I didn't know any better. Uh, so he had this little secret room in the basement in Seattle where he, where he did all this stuff. <laughs> Interesting, and I just think thought a it was room. the coolest thing in the world back then. So my next job, I had a little made a little room in the basement and, did <laughs> it, and I've just been doing it ever since. And the fun thing thing about that particular specialty is. The amount of time it takes is very limiting, but it's also, uh, it's my competitive advantage because I've been doing it for 20 years. Right. The recipes can go in the book, but it's, it's one, it's like, you ever made gnocchi? Like, yeah, it's very simple. It's potato and flour. But man, the devil's in the details. And like, Mm -hmm. you can't explain, you can't tell somebody how to make a proper gnocchi. You just, they just have to put their hands on it and practice it and do it and do it and and get good at it because it's intuitive. It's not, it's not a recipe thing. Right um, it, ha- you have to have the feel for it. Um, and the nice thing about salamis and charcuterie is it takes, so I'll make a ham and two and a half years later, it's done. And then I'll taste it and I'll be like, Oh, I wish I'd have done Or next, next ham. I want to do this a little bit different. Well, then it's another two and a half years to see how that turned out. Yeah. So you can see how that time adds up really fast. Yeah. So point being like, uh, competitively, like some, some young kids not going to, steal my thunder, you kind know, of cruise in with, you know, <laughs> do some homework, read some books and then with be, his sausage. be better at me <laughs> right. at this particular <laughs> discipline of my business. Like it takes time to get, <laughs> yeah. to get come, And I'm not even saying I'm that good. I'm, I'm competent at this, competent at this point, And I've toyed around with the notion of, turning that into my semi-retirement thing is buying an old railroad tunnel somewhere in Eastern Oregon and just making salami. That was that actually thing. what Dude, I was thinking
0: as you were talking, you
2: just waking up every day, do a little stretch, walk into the cave, poke the salami. Oh, it's not ready yet. Cool. All right. What am I going to do today? Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds so, that sounds like the best lifestyle in the world.
0: Shit. You can seriously do that now because not that I want you to leave bizarre, but I'm just saying charcuterie's like the thing now. Like, I mean, it's always been a thing, but I mean, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. charcuterie out there. It's kind of like one of those things you go to restaurants and you go to like the trendy spots and that's like the thing to do is have a bottle of wine and charcuterie. So, I mean, now it's kind of like a great time for somebody that's really good at that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I'm
2: not
0: going anywhere. Um, So do you have secrets that you can share or are they just that they're secrets like about charcuterie? Like, because a lot of us aren't very,
2: Knowledgeable no, it's very it. simple. It's just like making bread. Really, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a horrible analogy, but I give it all the time. Like you're so bread, you add yeast, right? And your flour and your your other ingredients, you add some yeast, and it does its magic. Uh, salami is basically the same thing, except you're working with meat, and instead of yeast, you have this set of bacteria and and some enzymes that do their thing over the the period of time. Just like yeast, uh, if the room is hot, your bread's going to ferment faster. Uh, if When you're hanging salamis, if your room is hot, they're going to ferment faster. It's literally a fermentation. So right. you have bacteria eating uh, sugar, amino acids, shitting out vinegar uh, <laughs> that acidifies your salami. You've already added salt. So between the salt, the acidity, and the fact that it's drying out and there's no active water in there, now you have a, this preserved meat.
0: Is there like a dream meat to use like i've seen the deer there uh obviously use like pig and cow all the time but is there like a dream meat that you haven't used yet for charcuterie that you kind of
2: no sorry sorry for the boring answer i have not i've never been or veg i've never (laughs) i've never found a duck salami that i have been happy with yeah one day i'll figure that one out
0: Mm mm-hmm Mmm, duck salami. But as far I'm totally as meat, that. meat,
2: uh, Jose introduced me to Iberico pork and I'm sorry, but it's just the best. Thanks okay. for
0: going there because yeah. you just created the segue for the next question, which is let's go ahead and talk about some of that meat that Bazaar is famous for. And I know you're not here to like push the restaurant, but you're an expert in a lot of these meats that... Quite frankly, like even with just Bazaar on my resume, people ask me about all the time. So, so let's dumb it down, you know, like uh, yeah, not a lot of people know what is. Let's start homo- with the Jamon Iberico because that's the ham of the world, definitely the ham of Spain. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the Jamon Iberico de bellota that we have at Bazaar cool. and what makes it different. I don't, don't different. actually know
2: all of the pig breeds, but there's at least like a dozen major pig breeds, like uh, major ones that we all know from Mangalitsa to Duroc to like blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, so Iberian to Bayota are acorn-fed. It's a specific breed native to that kind of Iberian Peninsula. Uh, kind of, it's really its own thing. Um,
0: I mean, it tastes like butter.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, champagne
0: is just native to Champagne France. Yeah, and you've got yeah. that nuttiness on it because of that eating of the Bayota, which is acorns. Yeah, basically the pigs produced by
1: the region and the diet. And the process, the method,
0: champenois, and the expert—I forget his name—was Paul, oh, the guy that you taught us all how to cut the bayota in He's the so, beginning. uh, uh, uh what's um, his name?
2: Cortador is Paco. Paco, Paco,
0: He told us that they get one acre of land for each pig.
2: Well, they're not like it's not like it's fenced off, right?
0: Right, but the I mean, that's being, how much they space have they have—tons
2: of tons of room to do their thing.
0: Yeah, and right. the belief is that. That it's going to... Because if you raise it well, it's
2: going to taste better kind of thing? Always. Okay. Always, always, always. So here's what, here's what I've learned in the past six years at Bizarre Meats. It's breed, feed, handling. Okay. Breed is like 50% of the... Uh, so as far as like... You're trying to make the best steak in the world. 50% it that is choosing the right breed. 40% of it's feeding it right. And then 10% is handling it. Okay. And of that 10%, like half of that is the actual uh, killing at the abattoir of this animal. And then like four, maybe 5% of that is what we do in a restaurant, which is cook it. Oh. Basically, we're like the 5%, as long as we don't fuck it up. Um, it's the breed and the feed and and was it killed properly in a humane manner which you can taste I don't think a lot of the American public understands that you can taste the factory in the meat when it's processed like that
0: when you can taste taste
2: the happy you know happy farm in the meat when it's handled right and those last few seconds of the life of its life oh I can't remember the technical name there's a technical name for it in the in the meat world. But, uh, the last few seconds of his life, if this animal knows it's coming, if this animal's stressed out and like, yeah, knows something's wrong. You can taste that. You can yeah. totally taste that.
0: Um, you can tell talking to you, you know, like nerding out on the specifics, which is basically what I do too. Like nerding out on the specifics is a passion for you. So how important is it to have that super specific knowledge of things to create great food items?
2: Uh, but it comes right back down to as long as you're learning a little bit more every day and just give it time and you'll get there. It's important that you do your homework. It's important that you, you know, especially back to letters is to a young chef, like you do your job, you go home and before you get drunk and party with your friends, just spend half an hour cruising the internet, learn something. Right. Um, Just do, do your homework Do do that extracurricular stuff. Right.
0: And that's Um, like cookbooks. That's chef mentors. That's, Fuck, it could be like social media, like going through Instagram and looking, you know, for creative things. Um, Speaking of creativity, I feel like, and I'm starting to just learn this now or learning it in the last couple of years, like as you move into management, it's harder and harder to like sometimes be creative because you're worrying about all this other bullshit, it's which is not bullshit, worst. but it's the bullshit. It's like the when it comes to being a chef, it feels like bullshit, but I know it's not, it's like, you know, making sure like food cost is the right thing. And someone called out sick and blah, 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 like all this kind of bullshit. But like having said that, how do you then stoke your fires of creativity when you have to deal with all that bullshit too?
2: I don't know. And that's one thing I'm struggling with the last couple So I'm now, I'm now, into my forties, like solidly into my forties, uh, and a couple of couple of things are coming up that I, I guess I kind of anticipated. But uh, one of them is just that day to day. I. Like being a, being the executive chef of a, of a big restaurant, at least has absolutely fucking nothing to do with cooking amazing food. No, it's, it's just managing people, administration, blah, blah, blah. It's all this other stuff. Meetings. You're responsible. Uh, and then honestly, you just hope that you have some sous chefs who got some good ideas and, and. And some initiative and take take a run with it Uh, because my job and and what I struggle with personally is there are chefs who manage to do both Mm -hmm. uh, and they have this amazing ability to it's a different mentality to calculate the food cost. I can't think of a good example or to do. You know, or to make sure that all the equipment's fixed, make sure that people are getting paid on time, blah, 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 blah all those kinds of things. That's a completely different mental attitude than the creative side of things. Mm-hmm. And I have the sure. worst time trying to switch between them. And so creativity always goes through like... It, it's a kind of a wave. Like you have you have a fallow period, then you have some amazing ideas, and you have another fallow period, and some amazing ideas. I'm in a rut now for four and a half years, I think, um, and I'm just stuck in this rut. So that's oh, one God. thing I'm dealing with right now.
1: You you were telling me about that Netflix show or the whole story, yeah. Actually, so
2: I've started know. taking inspiration from other things. Cause, uh, I mean, there's also, I've been at this restaurant for five and a half years. This is actually the longest job I've ever had. So there's oh. a, also an element of burnout there to a certain extent. Of course. Um, so I just have to start taking inspiration from other genres. Um, so I found, not that I'm plugging the show, but I found the show on Netflix called Abstract. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the the show on Netflix called Chef's Table, except for other genres. And it's Awesome.
0: Okay. So, so inspirational. What example Great. would that be? Cause I've, I haven't seen it yet. So when you say other genres, you mean, um,
2: so I think episode one of season one was, and I don't remember his name for the life right. of me, but uh, he was a graphic artist. Yeah. Um, And just him doodling and how he comes up with his doodles. Uh, and then of course he took the show as a show and he's like, cool, well, I'm going to be doing this hour long special on Netflix. How do I want to organize this arrange it? Like, mm-hmm. so the show itself was almost a piece of art uh-huh. about his, his pieces of art. Um, Interesting. And then like, there's, there's one, I can't remember her name, but she's a costume designer. It's one dude that designed shoes. Right. Um, but it's all kind of the same. It's all, yeah. v- I don't know. It's awesome.
1: I think creativity applies to all,
2: um, 100% for sure.
1: You know, not only visual arts, whatever you're doing. I mean, you can always like put a little bit of
0: dose of creativity there. So you've been sprinkling this out through the podcast about just kind of tidbits of advice for young chefs. Yeah. How about um, some advice for where most, well, a lot of us are that came up at Bizarre Meat and came up around the same time as Bizarre Meat, which is most of us or many of us are in those first management roles. (laughs) roles. <laughs> so for not the super young, super youth chef, but like the person that's becoming a chef, the one that is going into that first, second sous chef job, the one that's like, oh my God, I'm running a restaurant. Like, what's some like advice for those people? That's
2: super easy, simple answer. Okay. Like to say, and it's so hard to do, but um you mentioned it. Like we had quite we had a really awesome kind of dynamic We're very different personalities, but we had built, we opened this restaurant and it turned into this family. Right. Um, That's happened two other times in my career (laughs) where I found myself surrounded by people um, who went on to do amazing things. Like at the time we were just, you know, this crazy group of nuts that got along fairly well for the most part, but really also like pushed each other. Um, And then everyone kind of dispersed. Uh, One guy went and he was Thomas Keller's sous chef that opened up uh, the French laundry and the other guy, uh he's a certified master chef now. Um, and these were these are guys that were literally on my right hand and left hand when we were all 18, 20 years old. That was a magical kind of a group that came together. Then I had one other, uh, and then this one. And so my advice is to people, my advice is try and get that. Try it's a people oh, thing. so hard. Try and surround yourself, <laughs> try and build something a community that's more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Like none of us are perfect people. I'm sure we've all pissed each other off multiple times. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a restaurant. You know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> We're not there to please everybody, but we had, yeah. um, we had for a certain period of time, there was something that was truly special, right? Mm-hmm. This family that we built, it was way more important than the actual work, but the actual work, um, reflected the fact that we had this functioning family.
0: Yeah. Um, it's just so, to me, like, how so did that you happen? Build, you s- build
2: this amazing <laughs> kind of community that you go into work and you see these people every yeah. day. And then the results will flow from there.
0: All right. It's our favorite time on the fly. 60 seconds. Rapid fire questions with Chef Alex Pitts. Ready? Go. The food you always crave.
2: Oh, God. I, uh, ramen.
1: Okay. Favorite charcuterie
0: meat.
2: Boring chorizo, I guess.
0: <laughs> Best tool for your job.
2: Best tool? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I have this $65 spatula that's a little bit of a joke in the kitchen. What the but fuck? But it's so awesome. I don't even know. About it, that. It's the little things in life. It brings <laughs> me joy.
1: I don't know this spatula. I don't know it either. That's right. I fair.
2: know. You don't get to touch it. <laughs> All
1: right. Cat or dog person?
2: Um, both. Both. I don't know. I can't have a dog right now because I move around too much. But. I guess I'm more of a dog person.
0: Okay. Most inspirational chef.
2: Oh God! How am I, I know. To that that's up? what I always say. Okay. Well, I don't know if "inspirational" is the right word, but Grant Atkins and I—Grant Atkins is someone I've been looked up to, but also in kind of a competitive, slightly jealous way because <laughs> we're about the same age, and he's been making waves. Oh my <laughs> God! That went really fast. Uh, that's
0: okay. It's okay. Go ahead that's and okay. finish that thought. Yeah.
2: I don't know. I've always been super jealous of what Grand Axe has done with this career.
0: <laughs> okay. 60 seconds is not going to be 60 seconds because I actually want to know the answers to this question. But so go ahead. To.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: dream place to travel and eat.
2: Oh, I have to think about that. I really don't. I should know. I should have an answer to this question.
0: You could be more general if you want to say like a continent. That You know what? Uh, Eastern Europe. Okay. Ooh, that's okay. interesting. We've not, never heard that before. Um, childhood craving food craving
2: uh garbage marshmallow fluff
0: <laughs> guilty it. pleasure
2: velveeta cheese
0: oh good no god way. oh yeah for sure i cheese raised on that product <laughs> yeah I love um, too. favorite alcoholic beverage
2: whiskey
1: go to dive bar in vegas
2: uh literally the pts right across i knew it i'm sarah <laughs>
1: Magic happens at that oh, PT right on Sahara, right
0: next to Bourbon Street. You bring
2: your own ambiance to PTs.
0: <laughs> totally. All right, this is a loaded question for you. How do you relax, or do you relax? Okay, at all? so
2: I have to. It has to be a fast answer. No, I'm super nerd. I've I recently got got into plastic modeling. So super. That's nerdy, crazy. Which I haven't nerdy. done as a kid, but now see, I'm an adult now. Like when I was a kid, we didn't grow up poor or anything, but there was no mom. Can I have an airbrush? But now I'm an no, adult, no. and I. Can buy all the best tools, and they have this thing called YouTube where they're like, other people can show you what you gotta do. Yeah. And it's become that's it's my so what moment does it entail?
0: That. I don't understand what it is. Is it like? Actual models like airplanes and shit like that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay.
2: Just building building scale models. It's all about the weathering and the painting. And then, oh my God, it's a whole discipline that some people take super seriously. (laughs) But what I love about it is so at work all day, I'm constantly interrupted. I can't go 10 seconds without being interrupted. Mm. That's probably the biggest thing, actually. Whereas that, I can zone out, I can put some headphones on, do (laughs) do one thing, concentrate on it fully, and learn a new genre. Oh, I love it.
0: Dude, you sound like a 12-year-old Asian boy. <laughs>
2: I know, and that's okay.
0: <laughs> How does that work with the ladies? <laughs>
2: no, it, it's-, it's uh, Come look at my
0: plastic models. <laughs> it's
2: kryptonite, absolute kryptonite. Can you imagine?
0: <laughs> so where do you buy your plastic
2: do When I see models? my model collection, <laughs> right. but whatever, it keeps me mentally healthy, and that's what matters.
1: Yeah, no, it totally does. No, it's like coloring. Yeah, you know like some people just
2: have. Yeah, it could be anything. It's it it's a, it's not meditation per se, but it's just the ability to, to without out. any distractions right. focus on one thing. When I was a kid, my um, I had to take piano lessons, and that's kind of what that was my zone out. Yeah, you know the hour that I had to practice piano every day, I just completely zoned out.
0: Yeah, and then I haven't had
2: anything in my life since then. So this is kind of filling that void.
0: It might be your key though, because what we've been learning from all our podcast guests is that's where the creativity comes. Yes, one hundred percent. It's like when you're Stay completely like either. Stay Meditating or going fishing or just you're just doing something that has nothing to do with what you're trying to be creative for. You're collecting all
2: this information every hour, every day. Right. And then you have to give a nice calm period to see what kind of bubbles up from under the surface.
0: Okay, we're going to go ahead and have you sell it. Go ahead. Do it for Bazaar or, you know, your chef Alex, you can shit, sell it for yeah, you whoever know whatever you sell? want to.
2: One thing that I didn't touch on, on the little recurring letters to a young chef. Ooh, let's do, okay, this. do that. I love um, this. Uh, so it's 2020. Everyone's, I'm kind of preaching to the millennials here. Okay. Um, no one goes to church anymore. Uh, a lot of people, I came from a great family, but a lot of people come from, point, point is people don't get preached at anymore. Um, it's just like we don't we don't get preached at anymore. So I guess I'm kind of preaching specifically money wise. As a 21 year old cook, you absolutely if you work in Vegas and you work for a big hotel, like they make you automatically put three percent of your salary into the 401k. Yeah, fucking do it, fucking do it. And yeah. I say that as a now I'm into my 40s and staring at retirement, and like for various reasons, everyone's going to have these various reasons. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago I had. Zero dollars saved up for retirement. So now I'm in hustle up, hustle up, catch up mode. And it
0: sucks. That's a lot of people in our generation. I was like that too. Mine just happened
2: a couple years ago. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Man, but if you can just take that 3% of your salary when you're 21, yeah. you don't need that shit. Yeah. Um, Instead of spending it It's way better it than right fun. now I'm saving 25% of my salary so that I can you catch know, up. eat something other than canned food when I'm retired. Right. Um, and that sucks. Yeah. Whereas... The power of compounding and the power of time, right. man, if you just put a little bit that, you know, 10 bucks, 10 bucks a paycheck into savings, the easiest way is your 401k. Just fucking do it. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> It gives money is power and that will give you power. Power in the future. Just don't underestimate. Young people never have any concept of time. Now I'm suddenly like coming to grips with this concept of time. Yeah. Um. But, you know, you say something at the age of 21, you have forty five years for that to grow. Right. Uh, and true. there's immense power there.
0: Oh yeah. You'll be a multimillionaire if you actually did it from the time you started work. Yes. It's amazing how that you happens. You
2: do a crazy amount. Just, no. Just a little no, bit. No, no, no. Just a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's something completely, I wish I knew that number at this moment, but it's something ridiculous. It's like a hundred dollars a paycheck or something crazy small. If you started when you were 18 at your first job and you did it, Yep.
2: And it's forever. It's totally <laughs> Until rationalize you're 65, It's totally possible. Away from all of that and find reasons why you shouldn't do that. No, no, no. You need to okay. rationalize the way to just save 3% of what you make. That's great period. advice. And you'll be set. We
0: right. never say financial advice. So there you go, kids. No yeah. one does. That's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Thanks, Chef Alex, for uh, tackling that because uh, that's something that's mostly overlooked.
0: And go to Bizarre Mate because it is literally the best restaurant in Las Vegas. Woo-hoo. Chef Alex, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. We love subscribers almost as much as we love food. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. And check out Two Sharp Chefs. That's with a number two
1: on Instagram and Facebook, as well as our WordPress blog. Email us with any questions
0: and ideas at 2 at gmail.com. And Louie, we stream new episodes every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. It's been a pleasure. We're 86th. Till next week.